0: Okay. Okay, Thanks. I'll start up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, the format is they have 24 hours marathon Thanks, meetings. So, you know, you sit in there and you just go to meeting after meeting and you know, you just get you just get program lit. You know what I mean? So I'm all pumped up, I'm enthusiastic. I love that because, you know, uh, sometimes day in, day out doing this program, you kind of like, eh, eh, you know, and then you get shot up again. So I feel pretty good. Uh, my sobriety dates April seventh, nineteen eighty four. Uh, I have thirty eight years, which is you kids are like twice the dang kids age, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. But um, <laughs> uh, I want to reassure anybody that's new that I do not have this program together. You know, there was a lot of awesome speakers this weekend, and. You know, they went back to school and one guy, uh, he was he an was amazing speaker, but he helped write the Good Samaritan, you know, went back to, got his law degree and wrote the Good Samaritan Act that we all know about. If you, you know, if you help somebody uh, and uh, they get hurt, you know, you can't get sued. And I'm just like, that's not me. I'm in the remedial group and I keep trying to get out. And my sponsor keeps putting me back into it. And I'll tell you the latest thing that happened to me Will, so you'll feel comfortable that I'm really not that together. So a couple weeks ago, I got really, really sick. I went to the river with some program friends or the uh, Laughlin. And I don't know, I got very, very sick when I came back. I never get sick. I haven't been to the doctor in four years, but I was like sick, sick, couldn't get out of bed. And I um, I'm the supply person for my Tuesday night women's meeting that I've been going to f- since I've been sober for 38 years. Right. And I've been the supply person for probably 20 of those years, because I know there's rotational leadership. Nobody wants the job, but you have to bring a bunch of crap each week and make sure there's enough. A- and I like that job. I mean, even now I have toilet paper and trash bags in my car. If you guys need some, I'll <laughs> it, you know what I mean? And, uh, so anyway, so I have, I have this, I have this, uh, crazy sponsee that, you know, I just love her. And so she comes over to get the supplies for my Tuesday night meeting that I never miss. And so I'm just, I'm riding around. I'm so sick. So the next day we have a commitment chair and uh, she's like, uh, I love her, but she's kind of my spiritual sandpaper. Like those are people that rub you the wrong way, but you've got to work your program. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, uh, you know, she's just, uh, you know, she just kind of rubs me the wrong right so the next day i get a text and said you know uh blah, blah blah do you need help there wasn't enough forks we didn't have enough plastic forks and we had to go into the church and we had to get some real forks and wash them and i'm thinking do i need help do i need help with my commitment that I've had for 20 years? No, do you need help? You know what I mean? Like, no. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that we ran out of plastic forks. That must have been really hard for someone to wash 20 forks with cake on them. Big deal, right? You know what I mean? But, you know, thank, thank for re- restraint of thumb and send. I didn't send her a text. You know what I mean? But she came and she sent me three different texts and basically just like, you know, criticizing me. And I was pissed. So I, instead of quieting the disturbance, which is our program in step 10, there's the spiritual axiom, which I love, that says, anytime we're disturbed, there's something wrong with us and we have to quiet that disturbance no matter who or what caused it. And we don't, like my sponsor says, quiet that disturbance by going up to someone and saying, hey, Joe, you really pissed me off. That doesn't quiet our disturbance. That just makes us <laughs> matter. because then Joe goes, rarities just Joe say i'm sorry joe goes well screw you and then i'm even mad you know what i mean so we don't we have to quiet the disturbance by talking to our sponsor or doing some writing whatever so anyway but i don't do any of that because i'm off the beam because i haven't been i didn't go to a meeting for a week in my 38 years i i can't tell you if i've ever gone a week i'm a meeting maker my sponsor instilled that when i was brand new and i just I just do my meetings. I've been off the beam, I've been crazy, you'll hear my story, but I always go to my meetings, right? So but anyway, I'm way off the beam. So I try to talk my crazy newcomer with only a few years, I try to get her on my side in this resentment. And even my crazy four-year-old is like, oh no, she's like, I'm out, I'm out. You know what I mean? Like I can't get her on my side to bitch about Lilia, right? And so anyway, so. This was Wednesday, Friday night, I get back to meetings because I feel any better get back to the Friday night meeting. I go to the meeting Friday night. I complain about it to someone else, one of my other sponsors, and she goes, shh, Lily sponsor, He's right there. I don't care, I'm crazy, I'm crazy. This is not me, right? So the next morning I have a Saturday morning book study. And so it's an awesome meeting. After the book study, I reread the text again. Why? So I can be pissed off again. Like, this is my program. I wanna get like that feeling again, right? And so <laughs> I read the text again and it says, I'm paraphrasing, are you okay? You know, do you need help? Like really, do you need help? I heard you were sick. You know what I mean? Like, I just to let you know for next week, we didn't have enough forks in case you wanna throw some more in the bag. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh my God. I have an illness of perception, right? If I do not treat my alcoholism, there's a lot more wrong with all of us than when we put the plug in the jug and we don't drink anymore, right? I don't have solutions to life. I don't think correctly. My perception is goofy. It's always been that like that since I was a kid and left untreated. It's gotta be like that. Like only by the grace of God and the pause that we sometimes get, did I not snap back at her. Right. And then I had to make amends to this lady. <laughs> anyway, so you can tell, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm a struggler. I struggle along and try to get this thing right. But uh, anyway, uh, I shouldn't, I should never have been an alcoholic. Uh, I didn't want to be an alcoholic. It was my life's dream to come into AA like it's nobody's, right? You know, uh, but uh, I was like, I was a fat kid, I was sensitive. I was one of those kids that you can't make joy, like, it, but I don't know, I, I don't know if I was really bullied, but I was teased, you know, fatty, fatty, two by four, you know, couldn't get through the bathroom door, that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I didn't take it well, you know, I, 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 I don't know, you know, I would tell on you to the teacher and then the teacher would say, you know, you know, Bill, please don't tease Nancy anymore. And then, you know, what happened to me at recess, you know, I, I, I like, um, I created my own problems, just like I do in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, left untreated. So I was just like, I have two younger brothers and a younger sister. Nobody drinks in my family, but me. Right. But I I feel like I was somehow kind of like broken inside, like uh, not quite right, like just a half a beat off. Right. I just didn't measure up to my family or anybody. They're all winners. And, and uh, but I had said no to alcohol many times because we didn't drink. And when I was 20 years old, I went to a party. I was going to Chapman College over here and I was living in the dorms. I went to a party and they spiked the punch with Strawberry Hill wine and like, there's a ladle in it and everything. And I go and I have the punch and I've been standing at the wall with my misfit friends. You know, you find your own people. Right. And so what happened is I drank the wine and then All of a sudden the whole room came around me and they started calling out my name going, Nancy, 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 (laughs) which really didn't happen, but it happened for me. You know what I mean? Like I was, I didn't know how bad I felt until I felt good until I was relieved of now I know it to be the bondage of self. Like the fear was gone. You all know the feeling. We've all described it that that magical feeling of just being free, and uh, it was amazing. And the next day, I was working at Tasty Freeze, and I, I, w- I was taking apart the shake machine at the end of the night for my side work. And I was replaying the night before, you know, just like what happened, how they put me on their shoulders, you know, the whole thing. I was going <laughs> to go through the whole thing, and I couldn't wait to do it again. Like I want the effect produced by alcohol. I needed that, and uh, I started I started going after it right away because I, I just, I didn't know how magical it was gonna be. Like my parents, I mean, it wasn't like, you can't drink, you'll be an alcoholic. It was just like, we just didn't drink. It's like, didn't they know how good this made me feel? And, you know, so I started drinking pretty regularly and I've been drinking a few months. And one day I was at a gas station and uh, for you kids back in the old days, they used to call them service stations. And when you would pull up to the gas pump, an attendant, would run out from the little hut, run, hustle over, put the gas in the car for you for 25 cents a gallon and clean your windshield. It, I swear to God, right? And so this guy comes running over to the car and uh, we fell in love right there at this pump. His name was Skeeter, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, which tells you everything you need to know about him. And, and I, Went home with them that night, which was also another thing. I was a good girl, and I wasn't gonna, you know, have sex or be, you know, do any of those things. And I went home with them that night. I had just met him, and uh, within a few months, I dropped out of school. I'm living with him over here in Santa Ana, and you know, uh, one day he slapped me, and he was, you know, fell to his knees and put his arms around me and said, you know, I'm so sorry. You're, you know, such a wonderful person. How could I have ever done that? He begged my forgiveness and I said, okay. And then a few weeks after that, he slapped me again and fell to his knees, begged my forgiveness. I don't know what happened, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I forgave him. And then the next time it happened, I fall to my knees and I'm apologizing for what? I don't know. I don't know. You know, what did I do? What did I do? And it became like a crazy, violent uh, relationship, which is nothing I had ever experienced. You know, the apartment had cockroaches, like, you know, you turn on the light. It was like a wall. It wasn't like a couple. It was just like a river. You know, it was just like, it just like my alcoholic life within the first year of my drinking was my only normal life and uh and but i was happy about it because drinking was working you know i was, I was just so happy to be drinking and my parents were horrified because i dropped out of school mm. horrified and um anyway one day uh skeeter beat me up pretty good and he kicked me out of the apartments and i'm sitting on the steps of this apartment but i can't call my parents who live in orange and uh because i can't admit defeat i cannot our family is they pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they, and and that has but they have been successful with that. You know, what we call it here is self-sufficiency, which I thought for a long time, when we we're here self-supporting, I got it mixed up with self-sufficiency. Self-supporting is good. It means we're not too dependent. We're self-supporting financially, but we're also self-supporting emotionally. Like I'm not too dependent on my parents for my worth or my boyfriend or, you know, I had it mixed up. Self-sufficiency means I don't need anybody. And that's, my family has been successful like that, but, but. And that's how I was raised. And so I cannot ask for help. So I've got one choice, which is to talk my way back into the apartment, which I did, but I knew something had to change, right? And I can't live, I knew, I knew something was wrong here. So the next day I'm down at the pool and I'm reading the wan ads and they had an ad, it said nude models earned $500 a week. Now this is back in 1974 even now, $500 a week, I'd be happy if someone gave me 500 bucks. You know what I mean? Like it, it's good money. And I'm, and I really had this vision that it would be like for college, like that I would be a nude model, like sitting on a stool and the students would be sketching me with charcoal. You know what I mean? Like a famous nude. And then maybe they put it in their art show at the school. You know what I mean? So I, I didn't know. I was really naive. I was a sheltered life. And so I go down for my interview at the fantasy nude modeling studio on 17th street there in Santa Ana. And they, I go, they tell me what I gotta do for the $500 a week. And I was honestly surprised. I'm like, what, what, right? So I'm like, oh my God. And I go home and tell Skeeter and he goes, well, I think that's a good idea. Like, okay. You know what I mean? Like, this is my first boyfriend. I never had a date, never in school. I used to think that the reason no one ever asked me out on a date ever was because I was fat. But now, because of Alcoholics Anonymous and being able to see myself clearly and how what a goober and how defective I am, it's because I'm misshapen on the inside. I'm sensitive. You can't, you know. What I mean, like I, I'm like I am a turn off to everybody because of you know. You can't have fun with me. You can't joke. You can't have fun. I'm sensitive. You know, and. Uh, and the reason I know that, because I'm still fat, and when I walk into a room, no one says, hey, here comes big fat Nancy Cook. People are like, whoa, Nancy, you know what I mean? Like, I got it going on, even though I'm fat. So, you know what I mean? Like, but I didn't know that then. Everything was about how I looked. And for a long time in sobriety, everything was about my entire self-worth was about my outsides. And if you didn't want to have like the creepy guys, not there's none here, I'm sure. But when I was <laughs> more, <laughs> was creepy guys you know, and I was flattered by it, you know what I mean, I wasn't repulsed by the creepy guys, you know, like how a lot of newcomers be like, you know, you know, Mike was, you know, hitting on me, not me, I was thrilled with it, because it meant I had some kind of value, because I had nothing on the inside of any value, it was all about my outside. even though my parents had tried to give me self-worth, they didn't all the things that a good parent should do, I just missed the boat, because I have a you know, peculiar mental twist. I don't get, I don't get things the right way. And, you know, when I did come to AA and I started telling my mom, the things my sponsor would tell me to do esteemable acts, basically my mom would be like, I told you that. Yes, you did. But somehow I didn't get it till I had to do it. And anyway, uh, so I'm working there for a while and I end up getting arrested for prostitution and I go to jail and, um, Part of my probation is I can't work in any nude modeling studio anymore, right? And I was really devastated because really <laughs> nothing. I had I dropped out of school. I got my brothers were athletic cheerleaders. I really have really nothing. You know, my mom gave me a few years ago, my mom moved into a what do you call it, assisted living. And she downsized, so she gave me my baby book. And back in the 50s when I was born, there was no social media. So everything was in a big book. And I was her firstborn and very loved. And in, it was the first seven years of your life. And I. there's birthday cards. There's uh, cute things I said. There's locks of hair, teeth, uh, pictures, all kinds of stuff. It's packed completely full. And I was looking through it. I'd seen it before, but I hadn't really paid attention. I'm looking through it and there's one page completely blank. I kid you not, special talents and abilities. It's completely <laughs> blank. Like my poor mom, she couldn't even fake it. You know what I mean? She was just like, you know what I mean? It's got nothing. And you know, it's kind of funny. But it didn't hurt when I saw it because it was true. It was true. And that it was kind of like gave validate. It's like when you hear the truth about yourself when your sponsor tells you, you know what, you're a selfish little bitch or whatever, which is what my sponsors told me. Like it doesn't really hurt because you, you kind of like know it. It's like, yeah, I am that, right? It, it doesn't sting like I'm not a piece of crap. It's just in this instance, I was selfish. I was like, I there was no talents or abilities. I always knew that, you know, but you know, but anyway, um. <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous has given me a lot of beautiful gifts, but I what I was good at was drinking and being a slut. I was really good at that. So <laughs> I and, uh, anyway, so uh, I'm driving down the street and I see this sign uh, for, for Norm's restaurant and they were making a new Norm's there in Santa Ana and I applied to be a job. I got a job as a graveyard waitress and I started working there and I got rid of Skeeter and would you be amazed to know that I got another boyfriend and he was also a crazy violent guy. I had four boyfriends, all of them violent, right? And I used to just be such a victim of, you know, like why, poor me, I'm just a nice girl from a nice family. And, uh, you know, and now I know because of Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm a magnet for crazy people, drunk or sober. There's something about me when I go into a room, you know, the craziest people, like one of my, during COVID, about a year ago, my dog got, uh, a dog got in my backyard and killed my little dog. I was so upset, Uh, it was terrible. And I had a new sponsee, and um, this is the kind of people I attract. Now my sponsor, Sharon, she's a beautiful lady. She sponsors nuns and teachers. Everyone's all glamorous. When we go to her baby meetings, everyone has a little scarf and they're dressed nice. And you know, it's just like me and one other gal. We're just like Jesus. You know what I mean? Just nice people. I love her. I love my sponsor. I love my sisters, but they're, you know, they're different, right? And so, but anyway, this girl calls me up because I was devastated, and with all the sincerity in her heart, she says, "Nancy." I have an unregistered gun, and I would be happy to come over and shoot the dog that killed your dog. And I'm like, "This is my people right here. These are my people. <laughs> right?" And uh, she didn't, but I, you know, but this is the kind of people I attract. That I didn't know that I thought I was a victim of all these crazy people, you know. And um, so anyway, but at my job, they started to see something in me, and they started, you know, giving me responsibilities, and and I wanted to. Uh, Norms had women assistant managers, but they didn't have any general managers. One of the things about norms is norms cuts their own stakes, their T-bones and stuff on a saw. You have to do all that stuff to be a manager you did back in the day. And I became obsessed with becoming the first woman manager. But meanwhile, you know, in between boyfriends, I'm, you know, I'm at the clubs, you know, I love the after hours clubs. I was just uh, immediately, I just became very promiscuous and you know, if I did not find you to go home with you at two o'clock, I would find you by 6 a.m. I'm going <laughs> home with somebody tonight, you know what I mean? And uh, it was just a crazy life. It was like nothing like I how I had been raised and I'm drinking every day and, you know, it's just crazy, crazy and, you know, the big double life. And um, so I finally make manager, I was 29 years old. I started drinking at 20 and at 29 I make manager and I was so excited because this was the thing that I had been, look- I had lived for this, you know, for. 10 years, right, I was so excited about it, and and I get it, and after the parties and stuff, and congratulations, you did it, you broke through the class ceiling, then there was a big thud, because that wasn't it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've spent my whole life looking out there for something to fill up this emptiness that we know as alcoholism, a spiritual malady. There's nothing out there that can fix this, but I didn't know that, right? And, uh, so it was a big thud. And a few months after that, uh, it was Christmas time and I was managing norms over in Inglewood. And, um, we had a party for one of the, we had a Christmas party at one of the servers' house and I bought all the food and stuff, but I just went over there. I was going to have a couple drinks, say congratulations for a profitable year. Cause you know, we don't drink with employees and it was just like a drinking party. Right. And, you know, eight hours later, I'm still there sipping on gin and juice. Right. Cause I don't know. I can't, I can't have just two, I don't know that. I never try to control my drinking, right? And anyway, I was wearing this black dress that tied up around my neck. You know, I was pretty young and pretty cute. And I guess I was rocking the cabbage patch too vigorously and my top fell off and I exposed my boots to all the employees, right? And, you know, even though I was young and pretty cute, nobody said, damn, boss, you're hot. You know what I mean? Like, it was, <laughs> even the dishwashers, here's the bus bars. I mean, it was awkward for everybody, right? So. <laughs> I get myself together and I go get in my car. I had this Dotson B210. It was a hatchback, you know, and then I folded down the back seat because I always had like my, like I had my club and clothes and I'd have my dress for success suits and I'd have, you know, my shoes on the side because I never knew where I was going to end up and I wanted to be prepared. And one of my, it was If you took me home for one night stand, I, I never felt like I did the walk of shame because I kind of felt a little proud. Like if you took me home for one night stand, I had my suit. So it wasn't that bad. It's like, yeah, I got my suit. You know what I mean? Like, what Like what are these guys thinking of me? Yeah, I've got a suit in my car. I called it the Slutmobile, you know, and I was very proud of it. What kind of, you know, crazy thinking. But anyway, um, so I get in the Slutmobile and I drive to where I'm living with this crazy guy. And, uh, I get pulled over by the police and they're giving me the sobriety test. And like, like, I'm really grateful to alcohol. I am because I, I looking back and seeing myself clearly, I don't think that alcohol diverted me from my life of normaldom that had been modeled from me. Like it wasn't like, Oh, you were going normal and you got sidetracked. Like there was something wrong with me and I was going to go some kind of way, maybe, you know, uh, wanting to kill it because I just wasn't right I don't know what it was but I'm grateful to alcohol to this day because it saved my life and it was the answer to all my problems like if I couldn't pay my bills I drank if I had a fight with the, my boyfriend I drank if the boss got mad at me I drank like it was the solution to my problems but this night you know I just accidentally exposed myself I gotta face these people the next day I'm either gonna go to jail or get beat up because I've been gone now for eight hours right and uh and just for one split second, I saw my drinking as the problem, which I had never seen it that way before. I had always looked at it as the solution. Yeah, there was a lot of pitiful and incomprehensible demoralizations that happen, but drinking's working. I'll take any kind of hit. I didn't stop drinking because of the ass weapons. I stopped drinking because of the terrific beating administered by alcohol and the fact that it didn't work for me anymore. Like I didn't get that same feeling that I used to get. And, uh, but anyway, uh, I didn't stop drinking right away. Um, I think Rachel talked about it. You know, I tried to do AA light, like you do. You know, just the bare minimum. You know, I used to go to this Monday night meeting, and they said keep coming back. I thought they meant next Monday night because you couldn't possibly meet, to come to a meeting on Friday or Saturday night. No way am I going to who is going to go to a meeting on Saturday night? Right, not me. So I didn't, and so I stood up every Monday for a long time, and finally I knew that I had to surrender like drinking wasn't working and I sat in the parking lot of that meeting and I I was as depressed as I've ever been because I thought I was going to be sober and somber the rest of my life because I had never been happy unless I drank. I know I can't drink anymore. How am I ever going to be happy, right? But that night, um, you know, There was a woman leading the meeting and she was fun and she was funny. And and I heard it all weekend long at the convention, you know, the music of Alcoholics Anonymous. I heard it tonight and hear it, the buzz, the music. You know, Tim was telling me, can you hear it? Oh, the vibe is great. The vibe is great. You guys are talking and chatting. That's music. That's fun. If you're, you know, if you're new and when I have somebody new that I'm talking to, I would say, listen to the fun that's in the room. Like, you know, it's not a bunch of us sitting here going, I wish I could drink, but I can't. You know what I mean? We're having fun, we're laughing, it's an attraction. And uh, it was an attraction that night. And uh, the woman that was leading that was so funny, you know, cornered me after the meeting and, and uh asked her to sponsor me. And, uh, you know, she put me to a course of action, which, you know, you guys know, you know, working the steps, taking commitments, getting in the middle, not just going to AA, but being in AA, in the middle, doing all the fellowship, going to coffee after the meetings. And, uh, and I, you know, It took me a long time to surrender, but once I surrendered that night, it didn't take me long to get in the middle. Well, she put me in the middle. You know, I was willing, I had that willingness, and I'm grateful for that. Um, Anyway, and uh, you know, one of her things that she used to say is, I want you to do the things that make you feel good about being Nancy, not to be confused with the things that just make you feel good. And I really didn't know the difference. What are you talking about? And she said, for example, when the alarm goes off, and you hit the snooze button, you get ten minutes more of sleep, and you feel good because you got that extra ten minutes. But if you turn off the alarm when it goes off, and you get up and you get to work on time or even early, you're going to start to feel differently about yourself, you know, the esteemable actions, and and you know that's hard because I'm an instant gratification junkie, right? I'll take the ten minutes now over the change in self-esteem all day long. Right? You know what I mean? All day, uh, and. Uh, but I took enough of the actions to start to, uh, you know, have the change be affected in me. And, uh, I start to feel good. And I'm just, you know, an enthusiastic AA. I'm so excited about AA and I meet a guy in the program after I have a little over a year and he's working the steps and he's a good AA guy too. And we date for a few years and everybody was happy for us. We're like the AA couple of Downey, which is my home group. And, and we decide we're going to get married and everybody, it was just awesome. You know, we get married and we, uh, buy a house in Downey and it's like the it's like the AA house you know there's people over all the time and I'm sponsoring he's sponsoring we have a little girl it's just magical it's just all the things that I had ever looked for the AA life gave me right it was just it was just awesome and um, after a few years uh, my husband he also managed a restaurant and he started working nights and he was going to less and less meetings and then he pretty much stopped going to meetings and then he got a migraine headache. He had a lot of migraine headaches. He went to the doctor, they gave him codeine. He took some codeine and uh, ended up losing his sobriety. And right after I found out he lost his sobriety, uh, I get a phone call from a little gal that said that she'd been having an affair with my husband. And uh, my whole AE life screeched to a halt. And uh, you know, uh, I don't do SAD, how i handle everything is rageful and bitter and crazy you know what i mean like you're not going to catch me crying i'm a bitch but i'm not and uh our our life our home life became a living hell every sponsee i had dumped me of course all his sponsees left and it was just crazy crazy and uh, this went on for a couple of years and and what happened is i got deaf to alcoholics anonymous because i thought I had a justified resentment, even though we know there isn't any. Secretly, I thought that cheating on your wife is justified. I mean, if you go out on the street and say, hey, is it okay to cheat on your husband or wife? Everyone's gonna say, no, it's not okay. You know what I mean? Unless there's some kind of creepy person, which there's those, but most people are gonna say, no, it's not okay. Right. So I don't care what you're telling me in AA. So I got deaf and I got out there. I got off the beam. It was really a, a dark place, but this is where I said I kept going to my meetings. You wished I wouldn't go because you'd call me to share. I'm Nancy Alcoholic. You know what he did today? When I was searching the car, I found out he's still smoking weed. You know what I mean? Just like I was crazy. I just threw up on the group for years, but I stayed sober. Sorry if you didn't, but I did. <laughs> I mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But anyway. So what finally happened is is I gotten enough pain to do something different. And, um, you know, uh, they say pain is the touchstone to spiritual growth. And I really, that is so true for me. You know, I want my spiritual growth to be like, I'm on a ride at Disneyland. I'm on, you know, I don't know, the Matterhorn, whee! I grew spiritually. It never happens like that for me. This is also why I'm in remedial. You know, I need to be bludgeoned into humility every single time. I can't tell you, sometimes I read step 10 and I love step 10. It's one of my favorite chapters, right? But it talks about, uh, it talks about the uh, the people that do the yearly overhaul. You know what I mean? I've never done that. Not once in my life. The only time I've ever done anything is when I'm in extreme pain or my sponsor tells me to do it you know what I mean? But, you know, I'm just not that advanced like that. And, uh, but I got in enough pain to be, become willing to do whatever my sponsor told me. And, and I started working the steps again. And, you know, this time when I got to my fourth step, I, you know, I, I had more ability and I was writing and I was writing about this one situation that I guess when I had written my first inventory, I stopped at what they did. I don't know, but this time I was more, I don't know, I saw things differently, but one guy I had gotten in a fight with, one of my boyfriends, we got in a fight he had taken a butcher knife and he had chased me. I was in my underwear, very dramatic scene and I was running (laughs) up and down Civic Center Drive there in Santa Ana while he was trying to stab me. Anyway, he didn't and we come back in the apartment. I don't remember what happened after that, right? But as I'm writing about this, I remembered that he was sitting there being a crazy alcoholic. We were fighting. And, and I went over to where he was sitting and I took a beer and poured it right on his head. <laughs> of course, he jumped up, grabbed the butcher knife. He should have grabbed my hands and said, babe, you need anger management, right? <laughs> you need to calm down, right? But he's an alcoholic, right? And there, you know, it talks about uh, in step eight in the 12 and 12, it says our behavior when drinking aggravates the defects of others. Like I'm a defect aggravating. Aggravator, drunk or sober, right? And I aggravated this guy. Now that doesn't make it right that anybody hits anybody or tries to stab him. But this is a program where we resolutely look for our own mistakes, right? Our own part. And so we set aside the wrongs others have done And It was just enough of a chink that I could open it up and have and be able to see myself clearly, right? How I had a part in everything that happened to me. And not only that, you know, when my daughter was born and my desire to be a good sober mom, I had lavished attention on my daughter. I moved her into the bedroom in between me and my husband because I wanted her to feel all the love that I had to give. I wanted to get it right. I have one kid, I wanted to get it right and give her all the love in the world. And so of course we can't have marital relations, right? Cause we've got angel girl there. And not only that, I made her my intimacy. Like she was more important than my husband, right? Like. I whirled around her instead of her whirling around us. And then, you know, I I start to see myself. And then also when I read this to my sponsor, she said, Nancy, you know, uh, even when you're right, the way you're right is always wrong. And basically, I'm a bitch, right? I'm right up in your face, right up in your face. I got something to say about everything, right? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just annoying as hell. And um, so what happened is that when I got to my eighth and ninth step, I was able to see how I had harmed the marriage doesn't make it right that anybody cheats on anybody, but the inventory is ours, right? And so I made amends to my husband and I, you know, I uh, for the harms I had done the marriage. And from that moment on, I was free of everything that had happened that I had been bitching about him for, since it happened for years, it took a long time. It was a long healing, you know, but we were able to stay together, which isn't everybody's story, but I'm grateful for that because of what it taught me about me. And, you know, the last thing I'll share is, you know, when my daughter Kelsey was, Uh, went to kindergarten my sponsor told me to sign up to be a like a helper and uh, and I didn't they sucked me in and didn't spit me out till you know the PTA till she was a graduated from high school barely and uh, but anyway you know my daughter had ADHD and you know she had trouble in school and and I was always the room mom and and uh, when my daughter got to fourth grade she had this teacher named Mrs. Nicasio who saw past my daughter's hyperness and saw that she was funny and smart and, you know, enthusiastic, all these beautiful things, right? And I love this teacher. And because I worked in a restaurant, I worked the weekends, but I'm off during the week. So I could volunteer a lot in school. And my original dream was to be a teacher. So it was really, it was beautiful because I really got to, you know, God provided some of my dream by me being able to work in this classroom. And I, I brought this teacher Starbucks every day. I put up bulletin boards, I graded papers. I just loved her so much. And so, uh, you know, at the time every year there's a field trip. And so at the end of the year, there's a field trip. And so I've always gone on the field trip. I've been the room mom every year. But this time a note comes home from Mrs. Nakasi and it says, because there's not a lot of room on the bus, only four parents get to go. So she was gonna do a lottery system and pull four names out of the hat to go on the school bus. And I'm like, oh, it's a formality because you know, it's me. Right. And so, but I put, I fill it out anyway. And I send it back in. And the next day my daughter calls me, I'm at work and she says, mom, Mrs. Nicasio picked the names and you didn't get picked. And I burst into tears, right? This is my spiritual. I burst into tears and I'm just crying. It's like, why? And she said, here's dad, here's dad. And so my husband gets on the phone. He goes, uh, Mrs. Nicasio felt so bad. Thank you that you didn't get picked to go on the school bus that she sprinted over to the car when I picked up Kelsey. So now I'm really crying because the teacher didn't just casually see my husband and say, oh, I'm sorry, Nancy didn't get picked. She knew I was going to be crazy. So she runs to the car. So even the teacher knows I'm nutty, right? I've tried to hide it, right? And uh, so she says, I feel so bad, Nancy didn't get picked. But I want her to come as my special guest. She just can't ride on the school bus, right? And that made me cry. And the reason I'm crying is because I don't get to ride on the bus with the kids because it's always been a magical experience for me and I'm falling. And then my next thought is, you know, you know, my sponsor didn't tell me to be of service to get something. She used to tell me the exact opposite. She said, you're giving with a hook. You're giving with a hook. Alcohol Synonymous tells us we give, we put up bulletin boards and take Starbucks for fun and for free. We give a hundred percent without expectation, right? And so I'm kind of feeling bad. And then my next thought is shame on you, Nancy Cook, right? Like I've had everything my heart desires. I had everything, not materially so much, but all the spiritual gifts, all, all this. And I can't be happy for one of these other parents to get something, right? You know what I mean? Like they don't get to do anything. They all work, you know, they work, you know, like is there one time to be with their kid and I can't be happy for them because I need everything in one more thing one more thing, right? Chronic wanting of this alcoholic, right? So I feel pretty good. I'm relieved. I'm happy. The day of the field trip comes, I drive up to the school, the bus takes off. I wave, I'm in my car, listening to my music. They drive down to the Long Beach Aquarium. I drive down, I park in the, you know, regular parking lot and I go to the aquarium. I walk all around. They're not there. I'm like, that's weird, you know, because I, know they took off before me that's really weird and i walk all around make sure i'm not there and then i go out to where the buses park a little different spot and i walk out there and they're not there it's like that's weird and so i walk on this little frontage road down by the ocean where the buses come in this back way and i'm out there for like 40 minutes they ended up getting lost somewhere they took the wrong turn but i didn't know that i'm standing out and the buses are going by. It's field trip Mecca, the Long Beach Aquarium, right? The buses are driving by, buses are driving by. And finally, I see the downy bus. I'm the only one out there, like a goober. It's just like a, like a little tiny road and some weeds. And there I'm standing out there, right? <laughs> so I, the bus drives by and they see me. And I'm like, woohoo, woo! And the kids throw down the windows. The parents, the other moms on the bus are like, Mrs. Cook, Mrs. Cook, woo, woo, right? And it was like the first night I drank. You know what I mean? Like, but this time it really did happen. Right. You know what I mean? Like I had the most beautiful feel like to be wanted and loved and everybody just loved, the pair. everybody just loved me. Right. And I just had that moment. It's like a, you know, my sponsor talks about being awake to those little moments, right. That I miss sometimes in my self-determined ideal of what I think my life should look like. I'm stepping over unicorns, missing it right? Missing the little treats God has for me. And it was a beautiful treat, right? You know, and if I had my own way, I would have missed it. Right. And so I just, uh, I'm grateful. I want to stay awake and be with you guys. Thanks for letting me share.